0: Welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White, joined today by Bob and Dustin. Morning, guys. Good morning, morning, gentlemen. It's great to have you here, and we're going to talk about several things as we go through our our program today. As always, if you like the podcast, please rate us on iTunes or Google Play, share it with a friend. We're always happy to have you listening, and and send in your questions. We've had some good questions, comments from listeners. We like to talk about those on the air, so send those in to us at bci.ksu.edu. We're going to talk today, it's coming up to spring, so we're going to talk some about management techniques for dealing with scours, some of the environmental management techniques. We'll also talk about mud, which ties right in there together. Talk about when to castrate those bull calves. And then we'll talk about some of the connections that that we've had here with some of the students on campus. Before we get into that, we just passed President's Day, and presidents, many of our presidents have been involved in ag. You guys have any presidents that you know Mm -hmm. of, think about, involved in ag in any way?
1: Well, that, that's a good question. You know, I can think of the first few presidents. Uh, George Washington obviously had a large farming operation. John Adams, uh, Thomas, Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson yeah. uh, you know, so at least the first few were heavily involved in ag. Then, of course, when I was younger, Jimmy Carter was a peanut farmer from Georgia. Uh, being from Kansas, you got to bring up uh, Eisenhower. He wasn't farmer. He wasn't a farmer growing up, but in his retirement years, he got into the cattle business.
0: Yeah, he did. Did you Did you know he had he bought a uh, farm just outside in, of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania, and they raised Angus show cattle. I didn't know that till I saw saw an yeah, article on. Yeah,
1: that. so yeah, so I, we're
2: going to count him as an ag president as well.
0: And being from Kansas,
2: yeah. Yeah. No, I really didn't do any of I guess any of that, and uh, kind of interesting.
0: Yeah. It, it'd be interesting, yeah,
2: and it'd
1: be interesting to actually go through because, yeah, first of all, I can remember the first few presidents because we learned those in schools. And I remember the last few because I lived through them. But there's a big chunk in the middle that I don't necessarily remember a lot about the details. Yeah,
0: exactly. So it's always always good to have that connection and, and knowing that our, uh, there's some connection there with the government back to the ag. When we get to this time of year, one of the things that we faced here in, in Manhattan, and, and it's been good we've had more moisture. So we've in fact here, we've had about 21 inches of snowfall this winter, typically we get about 13 inches. So yeah. as it melts and when it warms up, we're gonna be dealing with mud. What's, what, what are some of the things that we need to watch out for on mud? And maybe I'll start out with this, how big a concern is mud?
1: i I think mud is a pretty big concern from a from a health standpoint so as a veterinarian and and there's really two aspects of that one is is young calves are particularly uh, susceptible to um so for when they're very young first 48 hours of life first day to two days um if they're stay wet get muddy they're just not able to to deal with cold temperatures so if you have cold and mud together now, that's particularly hard on a, a very young calf. Now, when they get a little bit bigger, they're they're likely to survive, but it's still hard on them. Makes them more susceptible to uh, calf scours, to pneumonia later in life, those types of things. So, from a health standpoint, particularly young calves, it's it's a pretty big risk factor.
0: But in a in a feeding environment, we're we're less concerned about the health. But Dustin, you, you brought up some things. Other issues we'd concern about mud. If we if we've got feeder calves, it may not make them sick, but.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, we talk about energy requirements. I mean, I know going out feeding cows for school when I was growing up and you put your knee boots on and you step and you move. Try not to lose that boot. You lose the boot and you put your sock down in the mud and just, I mean, just from being a younger kid, how much energy it took to walk through. So I can imagine those cows just going through that day in and day out to eat. And so, yeah, it takes more energy requirement, or and they also tend to eat less because, again, why do you want to walk through the mud to go?
0: You don't want to walk all the way. And, and especially, so we look at in feeding environments, if we're in a, I was going to say dry lot, but a confined environment right. that's muddy, if we've got an apron there, that's that's much better, so having a concrete thing for them to stand on. But your, your feeding requirements can increase by up to 10%, and, and we will see... In the cows, where we get around the bale rings, and there's a lot of congestion, they may not want to go eat in those areas. Right now, here, it's frozen. Not true all parts of the country. There's a lot of mud out there. So what do we do to manage it?
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, I think just take it really seriously. And, and so some of the things we can do are get the tractor and scraper out and scrape those aprons, scrape around the, the, the feeding areas... Um, move, you know, and again, depending on the situation you're in, as far as so this dry lot or confined area, you know, how much space do you have, and try to to move feeders around. So you're if you have a concrete apron, obviously you're not going to move that. But if you've got bale rings or something that you can move, to move them around so that the cattle don't congregate in the same area for the entire feeding period for the entire winter. So moving, doing it, basically, trying to be creative about anything you can do to uh, clean off mud and stuff. There's a
0: balance. There's a balance there because every spot I move that round bale feeder,
1: now I've torn that. Now
0: I've torn up that spot, and it, and it's going to kill out my grass in that area. The other the other consideration is thinking about how quick. It's going to be muddy. How quickly is it going to dry out? That depends on the drainage. So did I put it on the on the side of the hill? Did I put it at the top of the hill? Did I put it down in a low spot where it's going to just stay there? where you place those bales also important
1: yeah and you know and i would say that uh, again sometimes we do things from habit and and we get busy so even things like building new gate entries into a pasture or into a a smaller grass trap or something just so because a lot of times the reason i'm putting the bales there is because that's near the gate and and it's maybe very difficult to get across a creek or something on the other side to to move and so even uh and that's better done at another time of year necessarily than right now. I don't want to go out and dig post holes this time of year. But um but to think about how can I set this pasture up to to minimize the mud cuz it it's I mean we're not going to get rid of mud uh, but we're just trying to keep it down to where it's it's having minimal effect on the cattle.
0: Absolutely. And the confined environment, scraping the pen, mounds, places that the cattle can get get out of the mud, but still as Dustin mentioned that that big increase in the energy requirement, which I think we all understand, can make a huge
1: difference. I think the fastest I've ever seen a group of cows lose weight is when they're on a relatively poor forage in a muddy situation. And, and the, the, the quickness that they lose body condition is really quite alarming.
0: So let's talk about one of the things that goes along with mud, which when we have new calves being born, calf scour is always a concern. We've talked about it a couple times on this show. But calf scours is is one of the things that we worry about and want to manage. And we mentioned on a previous show, one of the best ways to manage that is the Sandhills calving system. Bob, you want to talk a little bit about, yeah. just maybe tell us, what is the
1: Sandhills calving well, first system? First of all, you got to give a shout out to the guys at University of Nebraska that kind of created this, um, or they put into words this system of moving cows, pregnant cows, away from the cows that have already calved so that, um so you'll need multiple calving pastures and so the the sandhill system basically is you start with all the cows that are pregnant in one pasture and for two weeks let them calve out and then after that into that two first two weeks you move all the cows that have not calved away and they go into a new pasture let them calve there for a week and then basically every week after that you're moving the cows that hadn't calved Away from the cows that it had already calved.
0: So you're saying if I have a 10-week calving
1: season, I'm
0: going to need 10 I mean, pastures. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's you identified one of the challenges of actual implementation. But how big are these pastures? I mean, how basically it would depend on. Um, so if you if you most of your calves are born in the first month of the calving season, uh, then actually the first couple pastures need to be bigger because they're going to contain more cows for a longer period of time um and so they don't all have to be the same size and, and and it depends are they how much of their forage need are they getting from the pasture or are they really truly kind of a, a grass trap in are delivering feed so the size will depend on the the feeding situation And the size certainly isn't the same size for every week, because as you go through the calving season, there should be fewer and fewer cows calving each week, and so I need smaller pastures as we move along.
0: But they still have to have water, and you still, at this time of year, if they're calving, you got to have feed delivery. Can
1: I, I, and and what's the, tell me the reason that that works. The reason that works is they made a really good observation, which, you know, I kind of kick myself when someone else sees something that I should have seen. But basically, calves born very early in the calving season, even if even if the weather's tough, even if they're born to a heifer calf, um, a heifer cow, um, those calves are the ones that don't get sick. So basically, if you're born very early in the calving season, they're just not around other calves that are scouring. They're just not exposed to very many of the germs that cause scours. And the risk just increases. So the calves that are born the sixth and seventh and eighth week of the calving season are at much higher risk of scours than those that are born in the first two or three ca- weeks of the calving season.
0: It's exposure. It's yeah. exposure because that's where they're getting it. Is they're from getting those it from their older ones,
1: from their their cousins out there, the, they, their brothers and sisters in the herd. That's where they're getting the germs, and it just it builds over the length of the calving season. So the concept behind the ca- the Sandhill system is basically each group of cows gets to in their pasture. Their calves are born in the first week of the calving season, and so it really works extremely well. The downfall is exactly as you identified, is for full implementation, uh, it takes a lot of pastures, and that may just not quite be possible. So can,
0: can I do it with less? Can I recreate some of the value by having just a couple pastures? I,
1: I would say yes. Um, and again, I, I think the, the more pastures you have, probably the, the less risk of scours you're going to have. But even just once half the calves are born, Split off the, start the, the second half of the calving season in a new area or after a third of the calves so that I have three. So if you can split it into, you know, three different calving um, pastures, and again, you can just count as soon as one third of the cows have been calved, then move the remaining two thirds and then do that again. You I think Move you'll, the pregnant ones. You move the pregnant ones, which actually is a whole lot easier than trying to move pairs. That's right. And And then those calves that were born already, they stay on that pasture with their mother, and, um, and, and I'm, moving or I'm moving pregnant cows, cows without calves yet. And um, even if I can do that two or three or four times, that, that gives me tremendous benefits that, that approach that of having nine or 10 pastures, maybe not quite as good, but it's good enough to make that effort.
0: It'll make a, it'll make a huge difference. And, that's, and, and even, what about in the midst of an outbreak? So I've got several scouring calves can I go ahead and implement a move at that point to the cows that haven't calved?
1: Absolutely. I think if you're in the midst of a scour's outbreak, a couple of things I'd like to do is, first of all, I'd love to be able to move the entire herd to someplace clean, right? If you can't do that, at least move the ones that have not calved yet and get them out because then, again, we'll we'll start the season over again, and, and although I'll we'll be battling scour's for a little bit longer in, in the group that's already born, I can give that the ones that haven't. Calved yet? They get to kind of start over, and and the risk in that group will go way down. And so, depending on how many pastures I, ha- so if I'm in the midst of a scours outbreak right now, if I had three pastures, I'd move um, the ones that have already calved to pasture one, the ones that have already uh, that are still pregnant to pasture two, and then um, a group that is scouring, you know, that we're dealing with, I'd move them to pasture three so I can keep them separate from everybody else. If I only have two pastures, then I would use two of those. First. So you can make a make a big difference by segregating, moving the pregnant
0: cows, having them calve in a clean environment, and that prevents that exposure to some of those older calves, which leads us right into our, our Cattle Chat checklist, which is gonna focus on what are our top five tips for managing calf scours and preventing calf scours. Yeah. I'll start out, number five, be able to identify those sick calves and manage them appropriately so if I have scouring calves find them and manage them appropriately
1: all right number four make sure those cows are in good body condition so the nutrition is good for the cows that that impacts the colostrum quality that they'll give their calves and uh, the risk of having calving difficulties. so cow nutrition
2: Man- uh, number three managing calving pasture density by that we're just referring to um, you know keep the feed the water uh, your bale rings, keep that separate so they're using all the pasture and they're not all just congregating in one location. Number two,
0: separate younger calves from older calves. So it doesn't have to be a full Sandhills calving system, but do as much as possible to keep those younger calves separate from the older calves.
1: And so number one kind of builds off of that, in, and that is make every week of the calving season like the first week, or at least as much as close to that as you can implement.
0: Excellent, and that's our BCI Cattle Chat Checklist, our top five tips for managing calf scours. Identify the sick calves, have adequate dam nutrition, manage that calving pasture density, separate younger from older calves, and number one, make every week like the first week of the calving season. One of of the other, we've been talking about calves today. One of the other questions that comes up is, when should I castrate those bull calves? So Bob, do you have any recommendations on that?
1: Again, I, I think it does depend on, you know, when does the producer typically handle the calves. Um, but the two times that are probably the best are either right at birth. If you're, if you're handling calves near birth, putting a tag in them or something like that, that's an ideal time to go ahead and castrate them. The other time people commonly do it is, is um, you know, past your turnout or branding time, about that two to three months of age uh, time period. A lot of times we're maybe also giving uh, a clostridial black leg vaccine, castrating them, giving them a growth-promoting implant. And that's an ideal time because one of the things that we're really talking about is trying to castrate them as, as early in life as possible. Uh, and that's from a, a pain and welfare standpoint. But also, the older they are, if we're out here castrating a 500, 600-plus pound calf, uh, it, it does um, cause more stress, knocks them back, increases their risk for health problems Um versus when we castrate these young calves, three months of age or younger, we see much less you know, depression in average daily gain. We see them resume their normal behavior much quicker. And by uh, using a growth-promoting implant with those castrated calves, they'll grow as well as or better than a, a bull calf that's left intact.
0: So castrate them early in life, if possible. And, and maybe I should have asked, maybe the first question should have been, and I'll, I'll turn to Dustin, is there value in castrating those calves, or should we just sell them as bulls at weaning if we're on a cow-calf operation?
2: Well, I assume there's some, uh, you know, there, are they more aggressive with later? Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with who, somebody's
1: going to have to castrate them, and so there's a discount if, if I buy right. them. Right, no, yeah. Going and it's that. not just the labor. It's it's that, you know, when I do a five to 600-pound calf, he's going to be... It's going to increase his risk for pneumonia and other problems, so I'm going to discount them pretty heavily. Yeah. What are the uh, common methods? You now, growing up, we use rubber band, like bands. Yeah. For very young calves, they talk about uh, you know rubber bands placed near the time of birth. Um, as they get older, probably the most common is knife cutting, although. Uh, Burial, you know, as you get into these heavier weight calves, a lot of times they will use some of the, the two band, uh, basically like large rubber bands <laughs> for these bigger calves, trying to avoid some of the, the blood loss issues. So there's some, there's personal preference involved. So um,
0: banding, banding or surgical or knife castration would be the two main methods. And, and you can use, even on those younger calves, you can use either back to our earlier conversation about cleanliness and making sure that we don't get a lot of, uh, potential mud or other things in those areas is one of the things you have to watch out for at this time of year but those those baby calves handle it very well so yes. if, you, if you do them when they're really young it's a it's a, it's a pretty mi- it's point. a very minor surgical it's procedure, minor at, that surgical point, procedure at that point and it becomes
1: more major as they get older
0: absolutely so doing doing them early is much is much better and and I think that long term, as you mentioned, put using an implant to kind of replace that, we don't we're not losing anything. No, we're we're, really we're not. actually having a gain because we can have an economic gain because they'll sell us steers instead of bulls. Depending yes. on where you're selling, that can be a that can be a big difference in price. So one one of the other things that, that we've had going and, and pretty excited that, that Patty Dollarhide, who's our dietitian here at the Beef Cattle Institute, has has been working closely with some other folks, and they had a burger day, and I was able to catch up with her and talk to her a little bit about what they did at that burger day. We've got a, an exciting thing we wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about because you did some work with the Kansas Beef Council, worked with the dining services here at K-State, and on Kansas Day, you made it into burger day and had a special burger night there.
3: And it turned out to be to have lots of excitement, lots of fun for both the students as well as our um, AG students that work in our uh, colleges because what we realized is a lot of times we live in a bubble in agriculture and we assume that everybody understands all the things that we take for granted but when as working with the dining services we realized that um, they have a great story with the beef that they serve but it's had sometimes hard for them to explain
0: so you so you were able to come in and work with beef council and set up this special event and, and kind of advertise as a burger night to the to the students
3: exactly and we took a product that they already purchased through the department of agriculture here in at kansas state and make it special so they got to see a picture of a cow they got to have some of our ag students be ambassadors for the evening and talk about beef and answer any questions that they might have about how is beef raised where does it come from is it nutritious and we did get some amazing questions but probably the biggest takeaway was kids like hamburgers and they like great tasting food and they were willing to wait up to 20 minutes to get a nice burger and we did work with the um, facility the dining facility where the burger was a little larger than they had been getting and it was a little special it looked the presentation was fabulous it was on a nice bun and we promoted it as um as something healthy for them to eat and and i think part of it was too with the ambassadors from our our ag colleges, they saw the connection with, hey, this is a product that's local and we want to learn more about it and it tastes great.
0: So when you say when you say local, that is beef that was purchased here in the state of Kansas.
3: It was, it was purchased in, which is unique about that is they always purchase their beef here in Kansas through the Department of Animal Science. And that's a great story that they probably don't tell enough, but our own animal science department Uh, made the patties they got the beef from a packing house here locally in Kansas and they were able to share that with the students that night
0: and and that's one of the things that helped them feel that connection because you mentioned story connection a couple times those words that seemed to be important to the students to know a little bit more about what they were eating was that something that that came up in your discussions
3: Absolutely. And that was one of the takeaways when we uh, recapped the event was the people in the dining hall said we're always looking for interesting items to serve our students. And what they found was here we have one that we just haven't taken the time to tell the story and to help them understand about it. And so it turned out to be a win win for both of us because it's not going to change their procurement processes dramatically. It's just going to be telling the story of conventionally raised beef in a way that made a connection with the students.
0: Excellent. And I think that's a a good take home message. And and it comes through the collaboration. So through your work at the Beef Cattle Institute, the Kansas Beef Council, working with our faculty here at Kansas State and the dining hall services folks, able to tell that story, make a connection with the students. Thanks for your work on that project. And we will have a a larger story on that that'll that'll come out later. Thanks, Patty. That was great. And one of the things that she talked about was the interaction with the students and the students being able to ask those questions to both some of the collegiate cattlemen and women, as well as some of the folks from the Kansas Beef Council that was there. You guys see that as a, a
1: valuable experience for for the students to be able to interact. I think there's value for a lot of reasons. One is is for some of those ag um, ambassadors. Uh, it gives them practice talking about agriculture to um, students that are fr- coming from a different background. And then, of course, for the students that, that really don't have much uh, personal experience with food production, it's a great opportunity to kind of meet some peers and talk to them about, about food production.
0: And you guys interact with students every day, but students with a ag focus many times.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's Ten percent or twenty-five percent come from some kind of production background, or they're going back to the to the farm, and so we tend to focus. That's what we tend to see. Although we're starting to see more and more students come from Wichita, Kansas City, et cetera, that don't come from an ag background.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So we're at Kansas State University, which is a a land grant university, definitely an agriculture state, and yet there's a pretty high percentage of students that really have very little um, connection with ag here at K-State. And I can imagine at other universities, it would be much, much more.
0: Which is analogous to the population. That's true. I mean, that's the the population, and and I think that's one of the areas. Things like this are important. So if you have the chance, and the other thing that Patty mentioned to me after was it's it's rewarding to have a chance to talk about something you're passionate about, you enjoy talking about, and having somebody that's asking questions and is interested. Yeah. So, one, One last thing for today, our BCI beef tip is about mud.
1: Bob? Ah, mud came back. I, I think the tip is to basically to take it seriously. And no one likes to deal with mud because the, the, the interventions we have are basically to get on the tractor and get out there and scrape some concrete aprons and scrape some areas uh, to move bale rings, to move, you know, uh, the, the feeding areas. And all of those take a lot of work. It's not convenient, um, but it's really important. It's important for calf health it's important for cow comfort and the ability of cows to put on weight in, in development heifers or feedlot cattle. It, it has a big impact on their feed efficiency.
0: Excellent. Manage mud. And as, as always, if you have questions, comments, anything you'd like us to talk about, send us an email at bci at ksu.edu And thanks for listening.